Hi and welcome to Make Space for Nature from Nature Scott, the podcast that celebrates Scotland's nature and landscapes. I'm Kirsten Guthrie and in each episode I, along with my co-presenters and guests, will help you connect with and take care of our amazing natural world. In this episode, Tim Hancock and I chat to Donya Davidson, Nature Scott's Natural Capital Tools Manager. She explains what we mean by natural capital, how taking a natural capital approach to managing land can provide multiple benefits for both people and nature, and how she makes space for nature every day. Hi Donya, welcome to the Make Space for Nature podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. So we often hear the term natural capital, but but what does it actually mean? Can you try and explain that to us, please? Of course, and thank you so much for having me. Yes, really great question. Um, natural capital is a new emerging kind of science sphere of information, and there's loads of different ways of describing natural capital out there. But really, when it comes down to it, what we mean by natural capital is the elements of nature that provide benefits to us as humans. So that can be within our habitats, within the species, within the ecosystems. And yeah, it's basically just nature and the fact, the parts of it that provide us benefits. Now, the actual benefits that we derive from nature, those are known as ecosystem services. And something else to add to this, which may add a little bit of confusion, but we sometimes refer to our natural capital as natural capital assets. So the habitats themselves can be referred to as assets when they're providing us benefits, same as species as well. So these provide us the benefits, which are ecosystem services. And this can be a whole host of different things. Some that people are maybe more aware of, you know, like the health and well-being benefits of being out in nature, but some less so. So things like air purification, that's a service that we receive from nature. Trees and other types of vegetation, they can help clean the air, remove pollutants really, really important in urban environments, even things like helping with noise pollution as well. So noise regulation, hedging and things like that can really help with regulating noise, again, especially in like noisy environments. There's really a whole host of different benefits that nature provides to us. And yeah, they aren't always obvious, <laughs> the different benefits that that they provide. It can also be things like flood regulation. So the ability of like Trees and other types of vegetation, woodland, you know, along a water course can help alleviate flooding, which is, again, super, super important. If you live next to a water course or a river or something like that, that can stop your home from flooding when the river is in spate or when there's heavy rainfall and things like that as well. So, yeah, it just really refers to the elements of nature that provide us benefits and then thinking about ecosystem services as those benefits that we receive as humans from nature. Great. Thank you. Thanks for explaining all of that. Um, and. Why do we need to take a natural capital approach? You know, what, what, is, what is actually the point of, of kind of the term natural capital and, and applying it as such? Another really great question. So, yeah, we talk a lot at Nature Scott about taking a natural capital approach. And really, this has kind of all come around because our business's usual approach to supporting nature and trying to look after nature and conserve the environment, it really hasn't been working Obviously, like we've done lots of great things as well, but on the whole, we've seen so many different declines in nature over the past years. We've got, you know, the um, climate emergency, the biodiversity emergency. I actually read a statistic that since 1970, there's been a 70% decline in the number of mammals, birds, fish, reptiles, and amphibians. And like, that's not even that long ago. And that's a huge decline. We think as well that 1 million species are thought to be threatened with extinction, so the whole natural capital approach really came about because of this, because we need to take a different approach. We need to try doing something else. And taking a natural capital approach 
especially when it comes to managing land. It's about making decisions on your land based on the benefits from nature. So it's really looking at the landscape with or like through a nature lens and looking at those benefits. So that's kind of how it came about because traditionally or historically, nature hasn't really been considered in decision making, especially like economic decision making, political decision making sometimes, land management decision making. So the natural capital approach is really just that way of making those sort of invisible benefits of nature visible. And there's also a quote that I really, really like that I think explains this really well, probably much better than I'm trying to explain at the moment, which is actually from Isabella Tree from her book, Wilding, The Return of Nature to British Farm. And what she says in this book is, but making the moral case for protecting nature for its own sake, because it is beautiful and important, and we have no right to destroy it. The case campaigners have been making for half a century or more has demonstrably failed. When nature is valued at nothing, when it is invisible in the economic system by which we live, that system invariably tosses it aside. And I think to me, that really captures like what we mean by that natural capital approach. It's about, it's really just a way of quantifying and showing those benefits from nature so that they can be included because otherwise they do just get forgotten about. And just to clarify as well, when Isabella is obviously saying about the economic system, you can take a natural capital approach without applying an economic value to nature. You can still quantify the benefits and the flows of those benefits without doing that. So it's not necessarily about adding a financial value to nature or anything like that. It's really just about making those invisible benefits seem to us. And I think as well, like for us, like people, especially within you know the environmental sector, within the conservation sector, I think the benefits are a bit more obvious to us. But especially when we're trying to communicate outside of our sector and like speak a language that other organizations understand, I think that's where natural capital is really powerful because it's where we can really demonstrate those full suite of benefits that others may not quite understand or not even understand. They just might not be aware of. And you see as well, you see in Edinburgh, so, so I live in Edinburgh and there's a phenomenon here known as urban creep. I'm not sure if you've heard of this, but it's basically this movement of people starting to pave over their back gardens. So either to make space for like a patio or an extension or for a driveway. And obviously within the rights to, to completely do that. But I think what a lot of people don't realize that when they're doing this, we're losing huge areas of green space in, in private gardens. And then that's having knock on effects to do with like flood regulation. So People's houses are starting to, you know, flood more when there's heavy rainfall and there's no natural vegetation to help soak that up. And it's really reducing habitat for wildlife as well. So it's taking away habitat for wildlife to be able to move around the city, which is really, really important. Um, and that phenomenon is getting known as urban creep and that progressive loss. And I think when I speak to people, like I've got friends and stuff that I've spoken to that have said, oh, you know, I've considered removing a bit of my garden, doing this. And I'm always like, oh, no, like, please, please don't do that. And then I'll explain like all the different benefits that maybe this garden to them, which might be difficult, you know, to manage or whatever reason that they want to get rid of it. They don't realize there's actually all these benefits that nature's providing. So I think that's the real importance of natural capital. It's just allowing people to see the unseen. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And one of the um, tips that we have on the Make Space for Nature campaign is all about, you know, trying to avoid the kind of paving and the artificial grass and the, the decking and these kind of things and keeping it as natural as possible if, if you are, you know, fortunate to have a garden. I was just going to go back to um, one of the points you were you were kind of speaking about there. Certainly, I, I seem to feel that there's maybe some mixed understanding of, of the term natural capital, but 
just to clarify, it's not about making money out of nature or, or placing a monetary value on nature. Um, you know, you, you've definitely clarified that in, in your answer to the last question, but I just want to ask the question about, about that side of things. Yes, no, another really great question. And um, n- not at all. Yeah, it's not about putting a value in nature or like I'm um, putting a financial value or selling nature or yeah, it's not really about that. And I think that is a real common misconception. Um, and especially when it comes to us, you know, talking about a natural capital approach, all that is, it's just making decisions based on those benefits from nature and the full suite of benefits that nature provides us. And I think that maybe has come around from like, yeah, taking a natural capital approach is not about putting a financial value on nature. It is an element of it that you can do. There are certain like models and methodologies out there that allow you to try add some kind of financial value because there obviously is a financial benefit if you think of it in the way that, you know, if nature is providing the service, it's stopping your home from flooding or it's, you know, providing you with these benefits that actually do have an, an economic value to them. There is some ways to do that. But it isn't what we mean by when we say taking a natural capital approach. It's but one component that you can do. And it, it's certainly not about like selling trees or selling off nature or anything like that. It's, it's really the opposite. It's just more a way to really make those invisible benefits more visible to decision makers so that we can better protect them and enhance them after them. Absolutely. It's bringing it to the table, isn't it? It's just making people aware and including that in their, in their planning as well. Exactly. I, I heard someone say once to me, it's getting nature a seat in the boardroom, yeah. which I thought was a good description of it as well. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks, Donia. I mean, that's, that was a great summary already of, of what natural capital is. I think in just in the last few minutes, my understanding has improved a lot just from that already. Could you tell us a bit more about uh, what your team have been, been up to? I know that you're in the early stages of, of beginning a new or creating a new planning tool. Yeah, that's right. So we're actually trying to develop a new natural capital tool um, for use at the landscape scale. It's really exciting. It's, it's going really well so far. There's a lot of different tools out there right now, lots of different natural capital tools. They all do lots of different things. Um, but currently in Scotland, there just isn't one at the moment that you can use that's bespoke for Scotland and that you can use at the landscape scale in Scotland. So what we're hoping to do um, with our tool, we're going to be building on some existing work done by Liverpool John Moores University. Um, we're partnering with them on this work, which is very exciting. They've done some previous work with a tool called EcoServer. And that tool right now is a very technical tool. It's within the coding language R and you need to be able to use GIS and it's very, very technical. Um, but what we're wanting to do is take the learnings from that tool and basically use it as like the bones of this new tool and then fully adapt it for Scotland and make it basically like a pick up and play, like a tool that people can just use. You don't need any previous technical experience. And that is something we've noticed as well from reviewing existing tools. A lot of them you do need technical expertise to use. And really, this has all come about because we're hoping to allow, you know, land managers, landowners, different partnership groups to be able to take that natural capital approach on their land. We need to make it simple and easy to use. It can't be too technical and jargony and difficult. So that's kind of where this has come about as well. And so the tool that um, we're developing, we're developing this as part of the Farming with Nature program, which you may have previously heard of before. It used to be called the Natural Capital Pilot Program, so NCAP, but now it's been rebranded as Farming with Nature. 
So really, um, it is about farming, but it's also about all sorts of other type of rural land use as well and other land use. So we do have a focus on trying to engage with farmers, with rural landowners. And for developing the tool, we're developing it using a co-design process, um, which you may have heard that term before, but it's basically developing something with the end user. So it's different to a consultation process because you're not just consulting and getting bits of feedback. We're doing the full design process with our end user. And we currently have a really great co-design group of a whole host of different organizations. And um, I think we've got over 50 individuals signed up. We've got public bodies, we've got environmental NGOs, we've got local authorities, we've got landscape field partnerships, we've got our farming community, a farmer cluster. There's natural capital consultancies in there as well. So also the private sector, there's research institutions, there's green finance institutions. So yeah, a lot of interest in developing the tool. And it's really exciting having that broad range of expertise to draw on. So yeah, so that's what we're doing at the moment. And that, that's a real key component to it. So we're running a series of co-design workshops to really help shape what is the functionality of the tool? Like, what does a tool actually need to do to be useful, you know, for people to use? We didn't want to go and, you know, create something behind the scenes and then put something out there for people to be like, this isn't actually helpful. Like, that doesn't actually help <laughs> meet my needs or doesn't actually help me take a natural capital approach. So yeah, that's a really, really key component of it. And there's, there's so much different functionality that we can do with the tool. There's so many different options. So I'm really looking forward to kicking off our next series of workshops as well to really delve into that because we'll be looking at not just the functionality of how the tool operates, but also at what kind of ecosystem services we want to measure. So some might be more important than others or what's the most important ecosystem services for us to be measuring in Scotland. So yeah, want to make it really bespoke for Scotland and really useful to our end user. That's brilliant. I really like that pick up and play. I know anything that's nice and intuitive will hopefully go down very well. So you've, you've touched on this a bit, Danya, but can you tell us about what are some of the benefits of the tool for people like land managers or just the people in general or, or for nature itself? Yeah, no, thank you. So for land managers, I would say the biggest benefit for them is that it's going to really be a decision support tool. So it will allow you to be able to map out, you know, your natural capital assets, be able to look at the landscape as a whole, really see where you've currently got a lot of benefits being provided from nature, but then also identifying where do we need more benefits from nature? Like where are those pinch points and those areas of demand? And it's going to be a way to do that at the landscape scale, which is really challenging, you know, managing land at the landscape scale and making decisions at the landscape scale, because there's so many different land uses and different priorities and how do you unpick all that. So being able to take that natural capital approach, really see what you've got at that scale will allow you to take that holistic, integrated approach to managing your land. And previously, before a type of tool like this being developed, that is it's quite an expensive thing to do. You normally have to go and get, you know, like consultancy support or, you know, pay for support to do this. And it's also very technical. So you can maybe do it in-house, but you need a technical in-house team that can use GIS and run all these models. So I think a big benefit for land managers from this is giving them that access to a decision-making tool that they maybe wouldn't have previously had access to, whether that's due yeah, to funds or resourcing and things like that. And that's something that's really important to me because we've previously, before I worked for Nature Scott, I worked with the Scottish Wildlife Trust. And we developed the Edinburgh Nature Network, where we used a similar approach with the ecosystem services mapping. And that was based on EcoServe. And that was a fantastic piece of work, you know, for, for Edinburgh, City of Edinburgh Council and Scottish Wildlife Trust. And we found from doing that work 
that the the outputs from it were so beneficial to the city in the way of being able to prioritize where they wanted to take action, where they wanted to keep things as they were, and where they wanted to restore habitats. And that was, it obviously was a, a longer process doing that. Like it was a whole project. It was a whole project team. We worked with the University of Edinburgh. And I think for me, it's really about giving land managers access to something like that, that anyone can just pick up and play and that can use. I also think as well, Another benefit for land managers is really giving them access to robust scientific data and model outputs that they wouldn't have otherwise been able to get access to. And like I was mentioning, it like it can require up to like tens of thousands of pounds, you know, to do this kind of modeling. So and it does also require technical skill sets. So I think for them, it's giving them access to that. And I know for some of the other groups, like some of the people we have interest in piloting and using the tool and co-designing the tool with us come from community groups or community owned groups. And for them, they may not have the same amount of resources, you know, as other groups. And for them, it will be able to provide them with the data, with the evidence base that they can draw up management plans and then maybe use that to apply for funding as well. So we're hoping that could be another use of the tool is being able to help people access funds and apply for funding too, and having that evidence behind it rather than just saying, you know, we want to plant trees in this area for X, Y, and Z. You can show and be like, right, actually in the landscape, this is the best place to be planting trees because there's demand for flood regulation and there's demand for health and well-being or there's demand for whatever it may happen to be air purification. And that's where we really need to be putting this intervention because it is really about getting multiple benefits from like a single intervention or getting the most bang for your buck in terms of environmental uplift and environmental benefits. Yeah, absolutely. And that's fascinating, actually, that it's not just kind of traditional, I suppose, like land managers, farmers, You've got community groups as well who are going to be able to use the tool. So I think that's hugely important. It's not just a, a kind of smaller group, I suppose. It's quite a wide, wide group um, appealing to, you know, a huge amount of people in Scotland. And, you know, what, what's the kind of timeline for this? Uh, because I personally, I'm quite, you know, excited <laughs> to see how it all how it all goes. Yeah, so... We're currently very in the early stages of the co-design process, like I was mentioning, so we've got some more workshops coming up um, in the next couple of months. We're hoping to do some piloting of the tool. Um, we've got some pilot partnerships that we're working with, and we're hoping to pilot the tool in September this year with the idea of hopefully having something ready to launch um, towards the beginning or towards April 2024 is, is when we're hoping to have something we can maybe launch a bit more publicly, but doing the piloting and at least getting something out there with like a beta tool just to work with um, by September this year is when we're hoping to do that. Mm -hmm. All going to plan. <laughs> and is there a, a, a working name in progress or is this just a tool as we stand? <laughs> so it, it's currently called, and this is not a very sexy name, is the landscape scale natural capital tool. But we are hoping to rebrand because it, it doesn't really roll off the tongue very well. So I'm hoping we can do that within the co-design workshop as well and get something a bit snazzier, a bit easier to understand. Because yeah, someone did suggest to me the acronym LASNAC. And I'm like, that sounds like lasagna. So I don't think I want to want to have the lasagna tool. Yeah. You might get a lot of downloads. Yeah. yeah. You never know. You never know. But if any of our listeners are uh, maybe have some ideas, they could certainly, um, you know, send them over to us. That would be that would be great. Oh, please. Yeah, I will take all the suggestions. Please do. <laughs> Just not lasagna. Not lasagna. Just not lasagna. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no that, that's great. And you're obviously extremely passionate about the work you do. Um, and you must have an interest in nature generally. So 
you know, our Make Space for Nature campaign, we're trying to encourage everyone to get out and enjoy and take care of nature. So, you know, how do, how do you, Donya, how do you make space for nature in your life? And have you got any top tips for our listeners? Yeah, so um, I'm one of those people that sadly, I don't have my own garden. I live in a small one bed flat, so I don't have my own garden. We have a shared terrace and there's stuff you could do on the shared terrace. But really for me, making space for nature is all around being able to volunteer. So that's where I tend to do most of my work. I used to be a volunteer back carer for the Back Conservation Trust, which I absolutely love doing. And I very much recommend that to anyone that wants to get into back conservation. It's basically where you find and well, you don't find them yourself, but people find, you know, grounded or injured bats. Um, they call up the helpline and then they get put in touch with you. And then you're there to basically like rehabilitate the bats and then release them back into the wild, back where you found them. So I used to, and again, for just a little bit of background knowledge, I, I used to be a, a proper field ecologist. I have a bat license, but um, you don't need to have a bat license to do this work. You can get training through the Bat Conservation Trust, through your local bat groups. And I absolutely loved it. That was one of my kind of, not maybe not so much making space for nature, but trying to help nature and give back to nature and rehabilitate nature. I, I don't do it anymore. I have a small puppy, which makes it really hard to have cats, <laughs> yeah. you know, like flying around my living room with the puppy as well. <laughs> so I don't do it at the moment, but I would very much recommend that to any listeners that are interested in bats and bat conservation. Mm-hmm. I also as well um, do more on the volunteer front. I guess volunteering is just, it's the way to get involved if you don't have access to land yourself. And I also volunteer at Lauriston Farm. I'm not sure if anyone serves Lauriston Farm, but it's in Edinburgh and it's a fantastic project. It's all about, you know, growing food, you know, for people, for schools, for local community groups. They've got different allotments and community gardens, and they're doing so much for biodiversity as well. So that's my involvement in Lauriston Farm is through giving, basically giving advice related to um, biodiversity and doing camera trapping as well to try and monitor the wildlife that we have at the farm as well. So Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, volunteering is one of the best things you can do, as you say, particularly if you don't have a garden and you really want to get out there and get really involved and you get train, training on the job as, you know, exactly. uh, as a volunteer. So absolutely, that's brilliant. Yeah. And there's loads of tree planting opportunities as well at Lauriston. I should have mentioned that too. So we did lots of tree planting. There's like meadow planting. There, There's so many ways to get involved and get out. And it's, yeah, it's really nice. It's something I love doing. Well, thanks so much, Donya. Thanks for, for coming on today. I think we've all got a, a better understanding of what natural capital is and we miss you all the best for, for the new banning tool name pending and <laughs> um, and and laugh with the with the puppy and before you can get to answering the bat phone again one day. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Great. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying Make Space for Nature, please follow it on your podcast app and leave a reviewer rating. We'd also love you to tell more people about the series. For more ways to connect with and help protect Scotland's natural world, go to nature.scot.